Welcome to Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, where we are amplifying the Black adoption conversation with Black adoptee voices and Black families at the center. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam and Sandria, two Black adoptees adopted by Black families still trying to make sense of our adoption journeys. We have all been touched by adoption, whether we realize it or not. You just don't hear our stories until now. Every birth has a story. So So let's let's go go black black to the the beginning. Hey, everybody. It is Dr. Sam and Sandria. And we are here tonight to really just talk about what I consider to be one of my favorite stories to hear. And it is that of the black birth mother. If we take it back to season one, there were a ton of impactful stories. Every story did something to us. But for me personally, hearing the birth mother story was something that really resonated with me to the point of me sending that episode to my sisters, to my biological mother, Mm -hmm. talking to my adoptive mother about it. It's something about that connection to the birth mother Mm -hmm. that's just intense. What do you think? Well, I totally agree because that's the story we don't hear, you know, everybody literally wants to take it black to the beginning. And the beginning is birth parents, the birth mother, the child spends the most time, the most intimate connection with the mother. So these are the stories that we want and we are just honored for our guest tonight to share her story. And so Courtney Cook is a Black birth mother. Hey, Courtney. Hey. (laughs) Um, And Courtney, we just want to get into this conversation. Just tell us a little bit like your opinion about why Black birth mothers and their stories often aren't conveyed within the larger conversation around adoption. I think that society and our community have put so much secrecy and shame and Black folks don't do that kind of uh, feel on it. And so it's hard for Black birth moms to actually like speak up and talk about their journeys. It's that I'm going to be judged. It's that, you know, talking about whispering about that keeps people from not speaking up. And that makes sense. And we talk a lot about the secrecy, the stigma, the shame that keeps us silenced and in a state of not healing. Mm -hmm. So in the essence of going Black to the beginning, can you do that for us? Let us know what was your experience with adoption? Man, I probably will say this until my last breath, but adoption is one of the best decisions I've ever made because it was for my son, my child. I got pregnant in high school, my senior year, looking for love by having sex. You know, I didn't feel loved at home, so I was looking for it elsewhere. And and sex turned into pregnancy, and that turned into fear and terror. I didn't grow up knowing anything about adoption other than what was like in the Lifetime movies where they snatch a baby, you never see the baby again. So it, it, it was something that I couldn't research. It's not like there was Google back then. I mean, I guess I could have picked up an encyclopedia, but it just, it was completely foreign to me. However, because of the household that I was in, I was raised by my mother and 
she was not fond of me. It was not a, a healthy relationship at all. So I knew she'd make me get an abortion. So I hid it. I hid my pregnancy probably till about six, six and a half months pregnant because I, I knew that if I told her when I knew that the first thing she would do is take me to the abortion clinic. And actually that's in fact what she did do when I told her at six, six and a half months pregnant, she took me to the abortion clinic and they were like, ma'am, uh-huh. ma'am, <laughs> ma'am. So, so yeah, I actually found my adoption agency in the yellow pages. I didn't have a vehicle, so I had to pick an agency that was on the bus line and my, they're called adoption counselors now, but back then it was my adoption caseworker. She's amazing. We're still Facebook friends to this day, but yeah, she, my very first visit was me asking endless questions, probably several hours. And she was so patient with me because again, I knew nothing about adoption. So she explained to me closed, semi-open, open wasn't really a thing 20 years ago. Like it wasn't really pushed. So I ended up actually choosing semi-open. And for any listener that isn't familiar, closed adoption is kind of what you see in the lifetime. There's no contact. There's not really any information other than health information passed. Semi-open, actually, let me say this. Open is where you can see your child. You can have visits. You can send letters and cards and and the, the child grows up knowing their birth parents in an open adoption. And semi-open is basically somewhere in between. And so semi-open is, is what I chose during my process. So the adoption agency basically had it laid out that I could send letters and pictures or whatever I wanted to send as many times as I wanted every year. And my son's parents were required to send letters and pictures at least once a year. So that was our semi-open agreement. Yeah. Did you ever have a thought that maybe you could parent your child, even though you were in high school? Did you have a thought, maybe I could try this, maybe we can you know, parent together, or did you just know that was not going to happen? At the time, absolutely not. Like I said, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with my mother at all. I actually, my nickname was ugly. Like legitimately my nickname as a child was ugly. So I grew up feeling worthless, not only unloved, but I grew up feeling worthless. So knowing that I have this child growing inside of me, knowing that I'm worthless, I'm about to be a high school graduate, but like working part-time jobs at a, a bowling alley isn't really going to cut it. The father, y'all look, I swear the term ghosting, I know it's new and all that now, but it was created for me because when I told the father that I was pregnant, he hung up on me. You know, I was like, okay, it's emotional. It's startling. I get it. Mind you, he was, he was a man. He was an adult. I was 17. He was an adult. But so I gave him a few days, called him, the number you have dialed has been disconnected. Okay. Phone number's disconnected. Let me page him. Page is disconnected. I'm like, okay, but wait, there's more. So he was staying in a weekly stay. Again, I didn't have a car. So I took a cab because, you know, Uber and Lyft and all those fun things didn't exist. I took a cab because I'm like, we got to talk. 
he can't run from this. We have to talk so we can figure this out. Y'all, I took a cab, knocked on the door, and he had moved three days prior. He had moved to, I'm assuming another weekly stay. Who knows? So, you know, I am, my mindset at the time is I'm 17. I don't have my high school diploma yet. I'm working at a bowling alley part-time. The father wants nothing to do with me, so much so that he moved. My mother is not going to be supportive. Love doesn't buy diapers. You know, as much as I love this being and as much as I want the world for this being, I didn't feel like I could give the world to my child. And so 17-year-old Courtney was like, adoption was the only option for me. Parenting wasn't going to happen because he deserved better. I wasn't worthy, but my son was. Oh, absolutely, my son was going to be worthy. And so my decision from day one, from the moment I realized I was pregnant, was about the child growing inside of me. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. I'm over here just, just a little bit angry. And then also sad, like that you experienced that. Because even though 17, we like to think like, oh, that's close to being an adult, especially back then. But to me, 17, to me as a kid, period. Yeah. So it's like, I'm thinking about the 17-year-old Courtney and, and yeah. what it is that you're experiencing but even through all of that how did you find some glimmers of, of joy <laughs> my son was my joy so let me tell you they have a name for it now I think princess not Megan the other one the one married to William I she had it where you you were sick your entire pregnancy mm -hmm. there was no name for it but that's what I had like I literally would up chuck every single day morning sickness, my foot. It was morning, noon, night, evening. If I drank water, I was sick. So you would think that I would tell people I had a horrible pregnancy, but I didn't. I loved every minute of it. When he started kicking, I would like poke him, be like, poke, 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 he'd kick me back, poke, kick me back. And because I knew I was going to do adoption, I knew that my only time with him was my pregnancy. So I try to enjoy and and be in every single moment of that pregnancy now of course you know 17 year old Courtney is probably like but girl don't you remember how tired you were but you know <laughs> I literally had to get joy every moment that I could because I knew that once he was out of my belly that joy was was gonna be gone so yeah my my pregnancy was was my joyous moments, yeah. I love hearing you say that because even when I think about my situation where my birth mother pretty much kept her entire pregnancy with me a secret. And sometimes I wonder, did we bond at all while I was in the womb or was I kind of just ignored, you know? like. Mm -hmm all right, we're going to pretend like this isn't happening because the outside world doesn't know this is happening. And so I just love hearing the interaction and you're really creating this bond. And as I read more and more about you know, brain development in the womb, like those months are critical. They matter. Mothering during those months, it matters. So I, I just appreciate you sharing that. 
Yeah. I rubbed my belly for several months after. Like I would find myself like, oh yeah, I'm still rubbing my stomach. Like, yeah, there was definitely as much bonding as possible happening. So did you even experience like a, a postpartum depression? How did you maneuver those feelings after birth? So let me tell you, I gave birth on a Tuesday. One day I'll tell y'all the story of giving birth, but I gave birth on a Tuesday. We left the hospital on Thursday and Sunday morning I moved in for my freshman year of college. So I, the day that I came home that Thursday, I remember a friend picked me up from the hospital, dropped me off. I remember planting face first into my bed and sobbing for hours. Like I, I vividly remember the gut-wrenching sobs. And then like a couple of hours, you know, the, the, the sobs start to, you know, wind down and the tears start to dry up. And it literally was like, all right, Courtney, you got to make a list. What do you need to bring with you to, to college? What do you need to pack? What do you need to still buy? You know? And so it actually took me a while to grieve just because my brain had to compartmentalize and focus and all right, new part of life. Where are you living? Okay. How do you get to your class? You have an eight o'clock class here. Then you have a 10 o'clock class here. Like it, my, my brain literally had to shift. I thank God that our health center, our health fees that were included in the tuition also included mental health. So my second semester freshman year, I, I went to the health center and I was like, I need to see a therapist. So there were definitely ups and downs. There were moments where I thought I was losing it. I've been open about my adoption from the beginning. There's actually somebody I went to college with. It's like, I remember the first day I met you, it was a day where you had received a package from his parents and people were seeing me on the quad and people were surrounding because I was sobbing and people were hearing my story. So like I've been open about adoption from the beginning, but yeah, it definitely took time. I mean, my son is 20. And I mean, as you can see, I still get emotional over the story. You know, it's the, there's a sequence of grief that happens, but with adoption, it's different because the grief is still there. You know, when you lose somebody, when somebody passes away, the sequence of grief happens, and however it happens, but that person's gone. With adoption, my son is still there. Every once in a while, I still get pictures. Every once in a while, I'll still get, you know, a video. And so grief is not linear because he's, he's there, he's not gone. So it's, it's been an interesting journey. Um, grateful for all of it because it, it makes me who I am. It adds to my strength, it adds to my, my my essence as a human being, but it, it definitely, I, nothing's easy, whether you're parenting, whether you're doing adoption, whether you've had an abortion, none of it is easy. There's going to be an emotional journey in every single one. Now, <clears throat> you said something that I had never heard before, which is 20 years ago, that open adoption really wasn't on the scene. And as we've been talking to folks, everyone acts like everything was open, you know, because we were born in the 80s and that's far along 20 years ago. But they kind of like acted as if the early 80s, like all of a sudden it was like the the openness was was just there. So it's it's interesting to hear you say 
that it wasn't like that. I had never heard of a semi-open yeah. adoption. You're the first person that has even made mention of that. Wow. Um, what has that been like for you, having that relationship still with the adoptive parents, but not necessarily your son? I'm grateful for every bit that has been there. My son is the oldest of three boys. They adopted two biological brothers after him. He has always known, his brothers have always known that they're adopted. And I have to extend grace to his parents. You know, the the agreement was that they would send me letters and pictures every year. That didn't always happen. But I can imagine, you know, they're growing this family, they have obligations. So, you know, I, I hold no ill will that I didn't get something every single year. I'm grateful for what I did get. The relationship changed when he turned 18. I guess I should go back a little bit. So the adoption agency was the intermediary. To this day, I still don't know my son's last name. To this day, I don't know where he lives. So the agency, what happens is I would send stuff to the agency, the agency would turn around, send it to them. They would send stuff to the agency, turn around, send it to me. At some point when I was an undergrad, I got a letter from the adoption agency in sometime in February of whatever year this was. They were like, by the way, we closed our doors back in November. If you still want us to be the intermediary and sending messages, send us $150. And if the adoptive mom sends $150, then we'll continue to send stuff back and forth. Oh, so I, I had to scramble together hundred, you know, remember college kid, you know, part working part-time. I had to get together this 150, send it in and never heard anything again. And it's, it, and so I literally had to kind of deal with the fact that, oh my God, I'm never going to hear from my son's family ever again, because again, we didn't have each other's information as awful as social media is. It's also wonderful because I received a message on Facebook Messenger one day and the message just said, hi. I ignored it. A few weeks later, hello. And I was like, I'm sorry, how do I know you? Yeah, I was being a smart, you know, <laughs> a smart little college student. And the, the person said, we're both Nathan's mom. I am mm -hmm. forever grateful for that woman for finding me because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to find them. I am forever grateful for that woman for finding me. So from that moment, when she found me on social media, we had each other's social media and email. And then when he turned 18, she reached out to me. We exchanged phone numbers and we had a, a phone call on his 18th birthday. It was a beautiful phone call, several hours, beautiful phone call. And she was like, I want our relationship to change. So, so we'll just text, you know, maybe every month, every other month or so, just to say hi. And it's, I'm so grateful. And that's not to say his father isn't in the picture. His father is absolutely in the picture. But over the years, it's been her. It's been his mom that has communicated with me. So that's why you'll hear me talk about his mom. But yeah, I, I am grateful for her. I mean, she messaged me on Mother's Day just to send me a beautiful message that brought me to tears. So I'm I'm grateful for her. It's, it's not a, a friendship. It's not a close relationship. But it's, it's a relationship where I know this woman cares for me, this family cares for me, and she will advocate for me if and when he is ready to meet me. So it's been a, it's been a, all of it has been a journey. 
And it still goes like, you know, this started over 20 years ago. And so people have to understand, not just for the adoptees, but everyone who's involved, like this journey <laughs> keeps going. You keep learning new information. You keep figuring out how the relationship dynamics work. It does not end. You don't just get over it. You know? No. Oh my God. Somebody said that to me recently. And I was just like, oh, Ooh, people don't realize how awful their words are. They don't realize. I have been told as a, a birth mother that I was going to hell for choosing adoption. I have been told get over it because I, I made a, a choice at 17 that I would never have any other kids because I didn't want my son to ever feel like, well, what's wrong with me that she didn't keep me, but she kept her other kids. And I literally was told, well, you need to get over that. <laughs> People are, whoo. Yeah, people don't realize. And I think it's due to ignorance because we don't talk about adoption. But yeah, people are are harsh. Yeah. It's like they don't think about <laughs> what you're saying. You had an entire life <laughs> living inside of you that you birthed, that you experienced. So just like the child experienced the trauma, you experienced a trauma, like trauma on top of trauma, having to give birth turn around, start a new chapter of life as a first year college student. Like, it's a yeah. lot. Father ran off and moved. Like, it's just <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it is. You don't just get over that. But yeah. to that point, what has helped you over the years to start to heal around that and, and get some grounding so when people do come at you talking crazy, <laughs> you, you have some you know, something to stand on and, and how do you process this? Therapy, my belief in a higher power and learning, honestly, one of the biggest things was learning my worth because again, I grew up feeling completely worthless. And so I had to, and again, this is still a journey. I still have to practice knowing my worth, walking in my worth. And we can talk about that later about what worth means to me. But yeah, that that helped me on my journey was learning to stand up for myself and to stand up for my decisions and also talking about it. I as mentioned, I have been open an open book about adoption from you know, after I stopped hiding my pregnancy. Uh, <laughs> but from that point forward, because for me, if I hold it inside, it begins to eat and destroy me. So I'm shouting it to the rooftops because, you know, not only does it help heal me, it also could help someone else. I had a woman, oh my goodness, y'all. I was in a newsletter for a nonprofit about adoption and I had this 80-something-year-old Black woman come up to me and said, I saw your story. She's like, nobody in my family knows that I, I gave up a child for adoption. I have chills thinking about that conversation now. I'm, she said, no, my husband doesn't know. My kids don't. Nobody knows that I had a child. And this woman was in her 80s. And the only reason she felt comfortable is because she read my story. You know, so <clears throat> I'm grateful for those moments as well, you know, where I know that my story is helping others. I, 
will she ever tell her family? I don't know. But the fact that she felt comfortable enough to tell me, that was a blessing. And those are the stories that just break me down because I think about all the pain that Black women in particular carry. And we have no clue. And we're, yes, we're strong. Yes, we're resilient. We're all these amazing things. But there's an 80-something-year-old woman who has been carrying this her entire life. Nobody knows. And so just her having that moment with you, that opens up something. So whether or not she, she tells someone else in her family or not, she got herself a little piece of freedom in that moment. And that's what sharing these stories does. Yeah. I'm just thinking about birth mothers really kind of living in their own personal hell, mm -hmm. if you will, by not saying anything to anyone, not feeling as if they can tell people in their family. I mean, I think we all have secrets, but there's certain stuff where it's just like, how do you go about day to day yeah. um, in this way? And so thinking about that, do you think an individual is living their most authentic life, their, their best life, if you will, by keeping this inside? No, I, I think keeping it inside, again, for me, that would be a slow death. I know that our community is very, you don't tell people your business. That you you don't tell people, you don't talk to a therapist, you don't tell people, you know, I know that many of us grew up with that belief system, but I honestly and truly believe that it causes more harm than good. I mean, look at this woman that approached me. How many years had she been holding that and and maybe having ulcers or health issues or emotional trauma from holding that in. Not to say that, you know, I'm not struggling, even though I do tell my story, but I think about what my life would be if I did not tell my story. I would be a battered and broken woman if I held this secret in, if I went to college and just pretended like nothing ever happened. Like, oh, hey guys, I'm a regular college student like you. No, I would be a shell of a human being, I think, if I were to hold it in. I think it gives us power. It gives us humanness and the ability to connect. I can't tell y'all how many times I go to birth mom events and there's only one that looks like me. I can't tell you how many, oh my goodness, recently, I didn't start connecting with birth moms until 2018. So this is all recent. All my healing and whatnot has been alone. But just recently, probably three or four times this year alone, I've gotten emails or messages on social media. I've never met a black birth mom before. Can I ask you questions? Yeah. Please, yes. So I, I, I definitely think it does more harm than good to, to hold it in. What's so crazy to me is that we know that there is an abundance of Black children in foster care in the system or who have been adopted. We know Black adoptees exist. They're out there. 
And so you would infer that, okay, for as many <laughs> Black adoptees or foster children that there are, there are Black birth mothers, Black birth fathers, but there's such a disconnect in the stories. We do not hear about the birth parents. And it's crazy to me. Yeah. 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 I I concur. I have always been of the mind that in the adoption triad that the adoptee should be front and center. And I honestly and truly believe that that is how it should be. It should be about the adoptee and their life and what's best for them. But I also think like everybody supports the adoptive parents. Like, congratulations, let's throw you a baby shower. What do you need? What do you need? And the birth mom, it's like, can you sign this? Okay, great, thanks. I know people think we get paid. Um, <laughs> like, no, that's child trafficking. I had somebody ask me early on, they were like, so did you get 50,000? That's what I heard. And I'm like, I don't even have a car. Where, where, where did I put this money? Like you where did I put this money? With nothing. nothing. Literally. And let's be clear, even if you had gotten $50,000, I don't know that $50,000 is enough to fill that void. You would it's have not. that money, but... It's not. It's not. But yeah, birth mom, and, and like I said, things are, are better now. Like there's so many support groups out there that I, I'm starting to see for birth moms, but that's now. Black birth moms? Are you seeing more than I show up. I've seen a few here and there. And again, you know, this is all new. This is all the last two and a half, three years for me. So it's, it's starting to be supportive, but yeah, no back. <laughs> like the girls that are placing more recently, when I come into a room or whatever, and they're like, why didn't you go to support group? And I'm like, it didn't exist. <laughs> it didn't exist. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you didn't. You didn't have somebody partnered up with you? No, <laughs> no. It was me, myself, and I, and my my amazing caseworker that, you know, would check in on me. So I, I hope that societal changes are coming, but that only comes with people talking about it, people showing up, podcasts and Instagram pages, you know, where it's no longer taboo. So it's going to take time, but I definitely think that it's it's starting, so. And you talked about putting the adoptee front and center. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the reunification with your son that has not occurred, but you seem to have the mindset where it's like, hey, it's okay, that's his decision, whatever it is that he wants to do. Now, now others might feel snubbed by that. Talk to us about how you're fine with that. You've accepted that. And how did you get to that place? So that definitely took time because literally there was a countdown from the day he left the hospital every birthday. Okay, he's one, 17 more years, 17 more, he's five. You know, like there literally was always a countdown in my in my head. And it's so crazy because Facebook, shares them with me sometimes like I remember Facebook was like you wrote this you know however many years ago and it said you're turning nine today and I'm so grateful only nine years to go until hopefully I'll see your face again like it literally was just always a countdown in my head of 18 18 18 18 and 
probably probably after grad school as he got older and you know there would be those times where I didn't hear anything from his mom I was like Courtney you not you need to start preparing yourself that maybe he won't want to meet you and how would you handle that and so with a lot of time and journaling and probably lots of tears and snot and ice cream pints I finally I finally got to a point where it was just like you know what Courtney you made a decision at 17 years old for this this child for this being for this life you made a decision you have to be okay if this child this being this life this autonomous person grows up and says nah I'm good I've got my parents, I've got my family. Thank you, but I'm good. Or even, I hate you. I don't want to meet you. I have to be okay with that. It is his life and he gets to be in charge of his life. So it's it's not it's not easy. Of course, I would have loved if on his 18th birthday I got a little phone call. Of course I would have loved that. I would have loved, you know, hey, dear Courtney, I just turned 18, wanted to let you know I'm good. Of course, I would love that. But again, it's his choice. I have learned after many, many years of bad dating, uh, you can't change somebody. You can't put your expectations on somebody and expect them to act in the way that you want them to act. And it's the same thing with my son. When I made this choice, of course, in my head, it was like, I'll see you when you're 18. But, you know, with age and wisdom and the realization that he is his own person, I have to let go, you know, and I have to be, if my son ever decides that he wants to see me, I better have made something of my life to have made this decision worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like he gets this family and Courtney, you better do something so that when he says, yes, I would like to meet you that he's proud of you first and foremost, that he is proud of the woman. Like he's like, I am proud of this woman, you know, that created me. And two, I better be able to afford to go wherever the heck he is in the world. Like how dare, like if he's to say, hey, I want to meet you. And I'm like, I can't afford it. Can you spot me a thousand dollars so I can fly to you? That's not going to work. Okay. Cause I know he's going to be like, you've had however many years to, to do, to make some money. You didn't have to worry about my diapers. Why are you still not, you know? So, so yeah, my, my mindset has been, it's his life, but I better be ready if he makes the decision. So. Have you kept the vow to yourself that you made when you were 17, that you would not become a mother or have you changed your, your feelings around? I have not had any other kids. Oh my goodness. I hope his mom doesn't get upset with me. On his 18th birthday, part of the conversation that we had, she asked me, she was just like, do you have any other kids? And she was the first person that I hadn't told anybody that I made this internal decision. So she was the first person I told and we, it was an emotional time. And she was just like, I don't want you to think that. I don't want you to think that he's going to think he's less than or wasn't good enough. She's like, you're punishing yourself. You're punishing yourself for, for something that happened when you were a kid. So 
there are times when I kind of waver because my entire life, I wanted to be a mommy. I wanted to be an amazing mommy that put notes in the lunchbox. And, you know, I always wanted to be a mommy. And, you know, so as of right now, I am 39 and my son is the only child I have. But, you know, if the universe, if God wants to send me a husband, another one, because I'm divorced. (laughs) But if, if God wants to send me a husband, I would be willing to consider it. But of course, you know, age and, and all that's a factor at this point. But yeah, I, yeah, no other kids as of, as of today. So do you feel like you've moved on from, like she mentioned, punishing yourself or having, I know sometimes people refer to it as almost like a survivor's guilt, you know, like you're punishing yourself for wanting or feeling like you're not deserving to be a mommy you're not worthy to be a mommy so yes I I have definitely moved past like when she said you are punishing yourself it was like a light bulb because I had never seen it like that my entire the entire time until he was 18 it was like no this is for him this is for him this is for him and when she said that I was like oh my god have I been holding this deep-seated resentment against myself like so yeah again thank God for, for therapy and, and growth and journaling. So I would like to think I have moved past that, you know, but again, I am, I am not willing to consider kids until I am married again. So we'll see, but I, I, I definitely know that my journey of deserving and worth has completely changed from 17 year old Courtney. Yeah. I, I actually, I wrote an email to somebody this weekend and I was like, who are you, Courtney? In the email, there was a disagreement about something. And in the email, I stated, my time, my energy, and my story have value. I would never have said that to anybody about myself five years ago, 10 years ago. And just seeing that email on Sunday, seeing that email on Sunday, I was like, Courtney, you have come so far. You have come so far to be able to stand up for yourself and to be able to not only acknowledge for yourself who you are, but to tell somebody else, you're not going to treat me like this because I have value. So yeah, I've definitely evolved in that way. That's a word. (laughs) It sounds like you have something to teach us about worthiness. So tell us a little bit about your book, Worthy. (laughs) So it's actually right up there on the bookcase. (laughs) So last year, uh, the pandemic was starting to happen. We were hearing about this thing that was killing people and it was in the United States. And I was at a local deli shop using their (laughs) Wi-Fi, And I literally was like, Courtney, the world is ending. And there are things in your life that you have not done. And one of those things that I had always wanted to do was write a book. When I was three, four, five years old, the little barcode on the back of a book, mm-hmm. it's the acronym is ISBN. But since I was a kid, I've always said, I want my own ISBN. I want my own ISBN. <laughs> and so I found myself in March of last year, like you have this bucket list of things you want to do. And you haven't even tried to write a book. You haven't even tried. What happens if you try? And so because worthiness has been like this deep seated thing in my life, 
learning my worth, learning how to increase my worth, learning how to walk in my worth. And I realized, I was like, you're learning this stuff as an adult. You know, what if parents tell their kids, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're athletic, but what if parents started telling their kids, you're worthy? And I started thinking about how many decisions in my life would have been different had I known my worth. And so literally in two days, on March 14th and 15th, 2020, I wrote a children's book called Worthy, a book for kids of all ages. And the first part, it's it's very simple writing. Like it's written for someone reading to like a, a three-year-old, but I've had adults reach out to me and say, Courtney, I sobbed reading your book because I wish... I wish somebody would have told me this when I was a kid. The first part of the book is all about what worthiness is. And because kids are self-centered, it's part of their developmental stages, okay? It's supposed to be that way. But because they are a little me, 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 I, 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 the second half of the book talks about who else is worthy because it's important for kids to know like, yes, you're worthy, but also so are your neighbors, so are your siblings. Because I I believe that if we know our worth and if we know that others are worthy, the world would be such a better place. We would treat each other better. So you see with people that work at, at fast food restaurants and how people are degrading to them. They'll throw food in their face or curse them out. And it's like, do you not know that they're worthy just like you are? Maybe their job is different, but they deserve respect just like you. So I feel like if we start instilling that in our kids, as opposed to trying to fix it as as we're adults, if we know as kids that we're worthy, it can change the trajectory of our lives. So yeah, did, did a little something last year. I'm here for that. I mean, Brene yeah. has vulnerability yep. and Courtney has worthiness. Yeah. I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> We're here for those lessons. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Courtney, this has been a fantastic conversation. One that is worthy (laughs) to be heard, okay? And we want to thank you for amplifying the voice of the Black birth mother to being very open and informative about options for adoption, because again, we learned something new about the the semi-open. And then also what just really struck me is the love that you still hold in your heart for your son. And that no matter what, that person is still there with you forever. So regardless if you tuck that away or what have you, or you think that you're tucking it away, that person is still there with you. And I appreciate the love that you're exuding in and really allowing for him to make a decision for for his life. So thank you so much for going Black to the beginning. For those who are interested in Courtney's book, um, please go to Courtney Tierra, so T-I-E-R-R-A dot com, CourtneyTierra.com to to, to highlight this kid's book. I mean, I'm going to (laughs) look at it as well. Right, because as adoptees, we we need this book as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we need this book. We need this book. So cheers to being worthy. Thank y'all so much. This has been an absolute pleasure and honor. I appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast with Dr. Sam and Sandria. If you want more Black to the Beginning, follow at Black to the Beginning and hashtag Black and Adopted on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you would like to share your Black adoption experience, check out our Instagram at Black to the Beginning and click the link in our bio. Remember, the Black adoption conversation is the Black family conversation. These discussions can be difficult, but necessary for generational healing. Let's keep the conversation going for the culture.